Welcome, everyone. Today with me is Tarus Balog, who is uh, a true Pennsylvanian from Pittsburgh. He's a Steelers fan. His ancestry goes back to, to Hungary, the same country where I'm from, as you know. However, he doesn't speak Hungarian, so you are lucky because we're going to conduct this interview today, uh, not in Hungarian, but in English. He's the founder and the lead developer of Open NMS Group. And I will let him uh, tell more about this because when I was looking at his Wikipedia page, it told very little about how he became uh, the lead developer and, uh, and eventually the founder of Open NMS. Sure. Um, actually, most of that is, is, is pretty much wrong. <laughs> um, I consider myself one of the, the maintainers of Open NMS, but um, I didn't, I wasn't involved in its creation. Um, I've, I'm an old guy and I've been working in the network monitoring field since the late 80s, 1980s. And um, some friends of mine in the late 1990s, 1999, they decided to start an open source monitoring project called OpenNMS. And this was, I'm in, I live in North Carolina and uh, very close to Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where this tiny little company called Red Hat was created. And Red Hat was becoming uh, very popular at the time. And so they had looked at this, this idea of an open source software. And so they started um, OpenNMS. And those of you who were old enough to remember the, the 2000 technology bubble, um, Lots and lots of, of money was flying around in, in, in 2000. And um, this group of people who'd started OpenMS were quickly acquired. And the name of the company that they formed was called Oculan. And their tagline was, your eye on the network. And the idea was they took OpenMS as a platform. And then they built this appliance on top of it. So they added a, a different GUI and they had some extra features and they sold it. And that was their business model. We're going to sell these appliances. And um, while they were doing this, they, they, they had a bunch of interest in the just the open NMS portion of their offering. And I was brought on board to build a community and a service and support business around the open NMS part. And uh, that started on September 10th, 2001. Uh, which is very easy to remember because when you say September 11th, you're pretty much talking about September 11th, 2001, where we all watch television like the rest of the world. Now, that was not the best time to start a business. Uh, in, in North Carolina, in, in the United States and in the world in general, everyone was kind of holding their breath based upon the, the post 9-11 world. But I managed to get four customers um, to sign up to OpenMS before we had released an OpenMS version 1.0. And in May of 2002, two things happened. We released an OpenMS 1.0 and Oculan, which, which was venture backed, so they had VC investment, um, they needed another round of investment and the investors were not comfortable with open source. They didn't wanna do anything with open source whatsoever. And so what happened was um, they said from, you know, from here on out, we've released OpenMS 1.0, we'll just let it sit out there, but we're not working on it anymore. 
I had I saw the potential for uh, you know pretty much 12 years. I had been working with proprietary solutions, and I'm like, hey, this OpenMS thing really has potential. So I asked the CEO at the time, hey, can I have OpenMS? I'll, I'll go off and I'll work on OpenMS. And he kind of looked at his watch and he said, you know, if you're off my payroll by Friday, you know, you can be the OpenMS guy. We'll give you the domains. We'll 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 make you be the maintainer. Now, you had mentioned uh, somewhere in there, it, it, it used the term lead developer. I am not a coder. Like, I can hack. Like, if you give me a piece of code that kind of does what I need it to do, I can hack it and make it do what I want it to do. But I am not a developer, um, which was kind of a weird place to be when OpenNMS was all mine and I didn't write Java code. <laughs> OpenMS is a Java application, and I wasn't a Java programmer. But through the community, I was able to keep the project alive for uh, a year or so, about a year and a half. And it prospered enough that I could bring more people on. And my one talent, it's almost a superpower, is I can get really, really intelligent, smart people um, to work with me on things. And so I, I managed to get uh, two people that I knew to come and we founded the OpenNMS group which is the commercial entity behind OpenNMS in 2004. So in September of 2004, we started the OpenNMS group. And I am a founder of the OpenNMS group, but um, I wouldn't consider myself a founder of OpenNMS, but I will uh, proudly wear the title of maintainer because I help maintain it. I probably uh, have to mention that uh, your business model of OpenNMS follows uh, pretty much like uh, many many businesses does this thing that you guys have a, a community uh, version of open nms which is free for anyone to take and and to use and then you have the the enterprise offering which uh, i concluded that it does come with the support but uh, does it also comes with additional features on top of the of the community edition of open nms so it, it it's very important important to make a big distinction we do not have like a a free and a paid version we just don't um we have we do have two versions of OpenNMS. um one is called OpenMS horizon um and then we do have another version of OpenNMS called meridian and you do have to pay to get access to meridian but they're both published under the same open source license probably the easiest way to understand this is we mimic red hat in a lot of ways and actually, they're sort of mimicking us um, with re respect to CentOS. But if you think of um, OpenMS Horizon as Fedora, you know, it's a rapidly changing um, uh, code base. Uh, all the new features go into Fedora, and uh, they get tested out, and they get uh, fixed and tuned. And then we have Meridian is much more like Enterprise Linux. So. So yeah, you do have to, you know, our business, again, we followed Red Hat because when you're trying to figure out how to be an open source business and still stay true to the open source uh, roots where you don't have like, oh, well, here's our free shareware version and oh, you want all those cool features? They're in this version you got to pay for. That's proprietary software. And sometimes they call it open core. But to me, when you're making business decisions, you have to treat it exactly like you were looking at proprietary software. Whereas with um, OpenNMS, you know, it's a Faro GPL version three on both things. And actually Meridian lags Horizon. There are more features 
in Horizon 27 than there are in Meridian 2020. And the reason is that our customers, our support customers, the people who pay for Meridian, they want stability. They want reliability. They want to make sure that there's not any kind of security issues. They want to make sure that all the features that are in there work fine. Um, one example I give is that we had um, uh, an issue with data storage. So when we started out, we use a, a, an open source library called RRD tool. It's written by this guy named Toby Edeker out in uh, Switzerland. He's an amazing guy. Uh, and RRD tool does a great job of storing time series data. But it stores it in a file system. And so you can reach a point where no matter how nice a file system you have, you're just not going to be collect, able to collect the data you want to collect. So we started an open source project called Newts. And Newts is built on Apache Cassandra. And it is this tremendously scalable time series database. When we originally did the Newts implementation in OpenNMS, it turns out we had, um, it wasn't necessarily a bug, we were just doing four times as much work as we needed to. So there was a problem in the code where it wasn't very efficient and we were basically doing this right four times where we only needed to do it once. By the time that feature hit Meridian, that bug was fixed. So everything was basically uh, tested. And so the people who pay us for Meridian, and you can, you can get Meridian for without buying support, without anything, just like you could with Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And what that gives you access to is the, um, is the servers that serve the repositories. You get full access to the code. It's a Faro GPL. What I'm interested to see is if anyone would ever make, you know how CentOS originally was a community fork of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. They were trying to make a binary compatible version of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And um, you know, someone could buy a Meridian subscription and make a community version of that. And they, you know, there's nothing in the, uh, you know, the license or anything that would prevent that. So it, we don't really have separate features or anything like that, but one of the ways we make money is we sell the time that we put into making sure that Meridian is incredibly stable, easy to upgrade, um, and uh, very, very much ready to, to, to be in a big production environment um, versus Horizon, which is still, you could run Horizon in a production environment. We don't release buggy code on purpose, um, but what you end up getting with Horizon is a less mature, but more feature rich version of OpenMS. Does that make sense? It does, it does, because uh, myself, I use uh, Fedora. So when you started to explain uh, with that analogy, analogy, I completely, uh, I was, I was able to follow, and uh, and yeah, it it makes sense. Uh, the two uh, businesses, Red Hat and uh, and OpenNMS. And now I see the the parallel in between. I'm I I I've, I've done this less so in the last couple of years, but I used to be a very vocal opponent of that the whole there's the free version which is open source and then there's the commercial version which is closed um it it, it really frustrates me um i i don't see it as much anymore you don't hear the term open core as much as you used to because people found out that the the, the um the business model just doesn't work um there was a, a gartner article called the emperor's new clothes where he basically, the, the author of the, uh, of the Gartner article basically said, look, if you're looking at open core, you've got to treat it as proprietary software. Because it is, you don't have the freedoms you have 
with um, with open source, even though part of it might be open source. Um, and so a lot of companies now, and it's great. I mean, when I started working with OpenMS 20 years ago, I had to tell, I had to explain to people what open source was. <laughs> I don't have to do that now. I mean, open source is everywhere, and people people understand that. And I think the business world has actually come to grips with this idea of open source in the sense that, you know, when you when you get uh, when you buy a proprietary solution, and a lot of solutions they are cloud based, you can almost uh, you know, bet money that that solution has open source in there somewhere, be it Kubernetes, be it Docker, be it, uh, you know, any kind of um, uh, virtualization software at some point, but they don't even, it, they don't even have to really bring it up, you know, um, but to find actually true open source where you can have access to all the code, you can modify the code, um, you can share the code, uh, that's very rare. Uh, and I think Red Hat is the only company that's done a, you know, become a billion dollar company with that model. And so we tried to follow along very much with their, uh, with their model uh, to provide the best service we could to our customers while making money to keep the project going. Actually, many, many companies uh, still up until today do not understand that uh, just because you can see the code, just because you can... Uh, have access to it and you can build or fork it yourself it doesn't mean that the ones who need or the ones you you would like uh, would not pay for the software and uh, that's actually a problem we we have i think on 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 the platform on on linux that uh, they still each time when 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 you read about this uh, they're not convinced that uh, paid software would uh, would would make sense on 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 Linux when I when I mean paid software, uh, open open source software which is sold for for money, and uh, I think it's wrong because uh, if it's a if it's a good software if the code is open uh, if I can see that uh, it doesn't do any harm or doesn't do anything different than than what it advertises not not me because I'm like yourself I, I personally I cannot even hack a code I cannot even uh, write a line <laughs> of uh, line of code but I would and actually I did in the past uh, uh, purchase software uh, which is built on open source or 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 actually open source software for a fair price because uh, because it's it's it, it, it worth it it worth the money they were they were asking for it and I think it's a misconception uh, out in the industry uh, still uh, today, uh, thinking that if we make our code uh, open source, uh, people uh, people would not buy it. Actually, uh, I, normally I use the Microsoft uh, Office as an example that uh, I would happily pay, uh, not because I need it, but if, if there was the chance to, to purchase a desktop version, uh, Microsoft Office, for Linux, I think it would be uh, a, a great uh, item which would sell in in companies because many many companies don't switch over to Linux because most of the time it's that one piece of software, Microsoft Office, and uh, people are just not willing to learn uh, LibreOffice or or it used to be called OpenOffice. But if they were selling uh, the same license for the fair price, don't give me the online um, crappy editor. I, I'm not saying that. 
I think people would buy it and, and more people could switch to, to open source alternatives. So they might not even lose money. And I think there is a lot of examples to, to this uh, out there. And the, the funniest in it that uh, I think that if the code is open, it actually helps in that you, you are not in charge of all the patching all the vulnerabilities and finding them and, 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 and check your code meticulously uh, through and through because there are actually people who will do it for you for free or just for fun because because they they they, they get a thrill of it so there is a lot of advantage in 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 using open source or, or working on the open source model because actually uh, what what I think that if you have nothing to hide then then I, I mean just because if I if I were able to see how Microsoft Word to stick with the technology are generating that Word doc file when I hit save as, I would still get the piece of software. I mean, I don't understand seriously the 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 the, the setback on 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 this. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I mean, one of the things that I really like because I'm I'm a big open source fan. I like I like to use as much open source software as I can, and one of the things that um, I think has really helped this idea of open source is the, for lack of a better word, the cloud. Um, one of the the one of the pieces of software I think is incredibly popular uh, that's open source is WordPress. So I don't know if you're you know in the um, in the early two thousands when blogging first started, there was a company called Movable Type, and they were kind of like the default. You know, people who were starting out blogs, they use movable type. But while part of it was open source, I'm, I'm, I'm not super clear on the, the whole history of movable type. But at one point in time, they basically closed it. You had to buy it. It was like a, a commercial piece of software. And along came WordPress. And to me, WordPress is like one of the easiest things in the world to, to install and use. I mean, they call it the five-minute install. You, you have a Linux server. You install Apache. You drop this, this tarball into your web root. You expand it, you follow the, you go to a URL, follow some instructions in five minutes. You know, you got to have a database, uh, MySQL, Postgres, something like that, and you're done. But then you start thinking about it. You have to, you know, optimize the database. You have to make backups. You know, what would happen if your Linux server died? You've got to do upgrades and you got to make sure you've got to, you, they have this huge plugin um, ecosystem. So you, you plug in and maybe a plugin breaks or it doesn't work. And so what they said is, oh, here it is, free, WordPress, knock yourself out. Or you can go to WordPress.com and for $5 a month or something like that, we'll host a blog for you. And we'll make sure it gets backed up and we'll make sure it's always got the latest releases and we'll make all, sure it's got all the security fixes. And what I've found in the open source world is, like in our Meridian solution, people are willing to pay for the convenience. You know, it's like, we're not selling software in the sense that you, you, you buy a piece of software. We're selling time. And I know I give a lot of money toward open source projects just voluntarily because they make my life easier. Uh, I think there's this myth, you know, because it's free, it can't be any good. And, you know, I, there's a number of open source projects that I would put up against any kind of proprietary competitor um, and basically say, look, you know, the downside is that like in, in the open NMS business model, our business model was really bizarre. It was called spend less money than you earn. 
I don't know if that'll catch on in the world of uh, uh, you know VC-backed companies, but our our idea was always, okay, let's let's um, make some money and spend less of it uh, to make it. And um, the problem with that business model was customers would pay us to make OpenNMS more powerful, and there really wasn't uh, a business model that allowed us to make OpenNMS easier to use. Does that make sense? It's like, if you're this huge enterprise using OpenMS, you're like, you know, oh, I really need this feature and make my life so much easier. But you've already come to grips with the APIs and the GUI and, 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 and overcome all those. Whereas if you're new to OpenMS, I mean, OpenMS is a very powerful platform, but I, I can't say, I mean, having worked with it for 20 years, I can have it installed and running in five minutes and monitoring your network. Um, but for someone new, and uh, it's, it's a little difficult to get your brain around and so now um, we are actually focusing on trying to make OpenMS easier to use and proprietary solutions forever. Like one of our proprietary competitors is SolarWinds. And one of the things about SolarWinds is they run on Windows. You know, Windows is the most popular desktop out there. I mean, there are challengers to it, but let's be honest, most co companies run Windows. So it runs on Windows and it's very pointy clicky. You know, they've spent lots and lots of time you know, building everything into the user interface. Whereas I come from the, you know, the open source world, I monitor properties files and config files and XML files all day long. And that's what you do with OpenNMS. But if you, if you come from like a Windows world, the idea of actually, you know, getting to a command shell and editing a text file to make something happen is, um, is foreign. But the downside is when you have a proprietary solution, if it does everything you need it to do, great. But if it doesn't, you are screwed. It's very rare that you can get a proprietary solution to change. And when it comes to, to enterprise software, when it comes to large software um, uh, applications, you find these companies having to change the way they do their business to fit their software. Like I get involved a lot in healthcare and, and one of the big healthcare um, platforms is this thing called Epic. You know, I think they're out of Wisconsin. and. Uh, so Epic is this like an ERP system for healthcare. So it does, you know, appointments and it does uh, tracking charts and it does prescriptions and it helps you do manage your whole healthcare thing. But it's this huge project. And when you switch, if you're a hospital or a healthcare system and you're switching to Epic, you have to uproot how you've done everything to fit how Epic does things. Now, if you think about it, if you have two competing, competing businesses, let's say two healthcare systems, the way they treat their customers and the way they manage their patients is how they compete. That's what makes them special. If both of them bought Epic and then both of them now start doing things like Epic does, you lose a little competitive advantage. Whereas take open source. Open source, you always have the freedom to fit the open source solution to the way you do business. And it's one of the hardest things for me to explain to our customers is that our new customers um, you know, I was talking with a, with a potential customer today and they're like, hey, you know, we want you to write this feature for us. We'll pay you to write this feature for us, but we don't want our competitors to get it. You know, because it's, it's, you know, we wrote it, we paid for it. We, we don't want our competitors to get it. I said, look, you know, we, we can't run like that. I can't have 1800 different versions of OpenNMS, you know, one with this feature, one with this other feature, one with this third feature. And second of all, our, we, we strive to make OpenNMS uh, feature complete. So, if you have me write a feature, am I forbidden from ever putting that feature in OpenNMS? 
And I said, you're also looking at it the wrong way. A lot of the value of OpenMS is how you use it. The intellectual property is not in the code. It's in the configuration files and the workflows and the stuff you build with OpenMS to make it fit your, your business. So you, you're selling widgets or you're providing uh, uh, an internet service or you're building cars, whatever you're doing, the way you do it is how, why you bring your customers to you. They, they like you for whatever you do that. Now you can take OpenMS and improve on your business processes. Make sure that there's you know, no downtime. Make sure that everything's flowing. Make sure there's no corruption in your, your data. And you can do all that with OpenMS, but you don't have to change the way you do your business. And people often overlook that. Yeah, um, free software does not mean free solution. That's probably one of the hardest things to get across to people. It's not like, oh, it's free. I download it and I'm done. You know, um, my wife teases me about this. Uh, she she's an accountant, and she does a lot of work in Excel, Microsoft Excel. And she, she one of the things she does is she makes a budget. I mean, this is a two billion dollar budget, so it's a, a big budget. And she she hates it when I bring it up and say, you know, she uses Excel because what she uses is all these these expensive pieces of software that communicate through Excel. They make spreadsheets and things like that that she can then manipulate. But if I bought a copy of Microsoft Excel and called up Microsoft and said, where's my budget? They'd laugh at me. <laughs> they go, what do you mean, where's your budget? It's that you have to build it. It's a tool. It's a platform. And that's where open source and a platform like OpenMS really shine because it's a platform. Yes, you can download it. You can point it at your network and it will do a lot of things out of the box. But where it really shines is when you get in and fix it. And a lot of my business is, is um, I'll go to network operations centers and basically say, you know, what's the number one problem you deal with? You know, and they'll say, oh, well, this happens, you know, randomly several times a day, and it's very important that I get it fixed. So we build that workflow in OpenMS, and we make sure that, you know, when this event happens, that we suppress all of the sympathetic events and bring that one event to the attention of the person who needs to fix it, so that you know, A, maybe we can automate the solution anyway, but, you know, now we solve that problem. And then we go, well, what's your second most <laughs> uh, uh, important problem? And then we fit the software to the, their business and we don't force them to change the way they do stuff. Indeed, to, to be able to fit the software, to be a software to be modular or a platform to be modular, it is, it is important, I mean, at least for me, when it comes to the, the competitive edge, as you mentioned. It does, uh, however, I have to agree with you that uh, for newcomers, uh, OpenNMS can be intimidating. But I have to say that the first time when I uh, came across OpenNMS, I did uh, uh, immediately found uh, your big video uh, session or, or playlist on YouTube. And actually, I, I have to say that other companies charge for all that uh, tutorial or, or, or training or that, that other companies charge for that they sell you on a DVD or you have to sit with them in a in a in, during a presentation and uh, you, you put it out there for uh, for free to where to enjoy and uh, it covers I, as much as I saw it covered everything oh and unfortunately it doesn't uh, it covers everything you need to get started um, but so when OpenMS started, you know, it was this Oculent company. When I took it over, it was just me for about 18 months. It was just me. And then it was three of us. Now we're over 30 people. We just had a, an all hands call the other day and it was like, you know, it didn't fit on the screen. We had over 30 people. So on, on Zoom, at least, you can only have 30 people up on the screen. Um, and OpenMS is, is changing so rapidly. 
that it's very, very hard. I need to redo those videos, and I, I'm waiting for some stuff to get into place before I do, um, to try and focus on some of the changes that we've made with OpenNMS. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate your feedback on those. We really wanted people to to go to on YouTube, go to OpenNMS 101, because you know it does. There is a learning curve, and I thought I've spent 20 years teaching people about OpenNMS, and I really wanted to put together something that started from first principles. I mean, one of the things I, I, I hate about technology is that to a lot of people, it's magic. No, I won't say no one in the open source world. Uh, it's very much, this occurs much less in the open source world than in the, in the regular world, that where people don't understand where things come from or how they work. Have you ever called tech support and they're like, hey, I'm having a problem with this device. Well, did you reboot it? You know, it's like, well, of course I rebooted it before I called you. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm eight steps ahead of you. <laughs> you know, it's like, can I just speak to the next level guy? Because look, we're, we're going to go through this a, a lot and it will just save me a lot of time. Um, while I consider OpenNMS to be magical, it's not magic. And so when I sit down with our OpenNMS 101 training courses, I basically said, look, here's, you know, here's how you install it. Let's, here's how events work, because events are key to OpenMS. And we just build off. And I think it's really funny. There's like module 10, I think, is the one where I bring it all together. Like we, we take all of the little bits that we've done for the previous nine modules, and we actually uh, do an exercise where everything comes together and we generate alarms and we generate notices and we do all this really cool stuff. Um, and I think a lot of um, open source uh, projects can kind of suffer from the fact that, you know, not everyone comes from the same background. So if you can sit down and start with first principles and basically look, this is how this works. Um, I remember I was in Cuba. I, I, the, Cuba has a, in Havana, there's a very large open source community. Um, which is kind of funny because Cuba is very locked down when it comes to things like the internet, but open source people are very uh, resourceful. And so the folks down in Cuba find, find ways to, uh, to get things that they need. And um, uh, where was I going with the story? Uh, so we were talking about um, uh, learning curves. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I had a great story at the top of it. I got lost. I got lost somewhere. I apologize. Yeah, we were we were talking so, about that uh, that many times in the open source world. Uh, sometimes, I mean, open source projects not always are the best in documenting or or guiding a newcomer through uh, the initial steps, or 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 maybe they don't have the lacking the resource or the or the time, or they are not the best presenters, so to say. So it's hard to find uh, people who very good in their craft, you know, building the software or building like a project like OpenNMS from the ground up and also be very good in in translating it to a humanly understandable language to to to, to people who, who are not coming from the same background to, to understand because uh, you can't use uh, technology gibberish or 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 those words which might mean something to you and something to me, but not to someone who comes from, uh, like you mentioned previously, this pointy and clicky word of, of Windows, for example. And yeah, those I two mean, talents normally are not the same, uh, found in the, in the like, same person. One of, so I, I remember what I was saying, when I was at this, this, this open source conference in Cuba, this, uh, someone was doing a presentation on um, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and to me, that's magic. I was like, oh, I got to go see this presentation. 
you know, because machine learning stuff learns how to identify stuff. And so this guy was is from Germany, and he he was a, he was a, a, a doctoral candidate. So he, he was very very intelligent, very smart guy. And he starts drawing out how this machine learning works. And I kind of raised my hand and I says, "This looks a lot like linear algebra." Like when I was going through school, we had this branch of mathematics called linear algebra. And he kind of looked at me and said, "Yeah, I mean, you know, you know." a lot of machine not all of it now trust me but a lot of machine learning you know got its basis in linear algebra which is basically fitting things to a particular uh, equation and if they fit the equation they matched if they didn't they didn't and um you know it was eye-opening for me because now i still think machine learning and artificial intelligence is really cool but it was demystified a little bit. And I was like, I can understand this. I can get my brain around it. And a lot of open source, when you're trying to introduce somebody to it, um, it seems too uh, difficult or too um, hard to do. And so to take the time, I mean, I think it's the onus is upon those of us in the open source community to take the time with newcomers um, and, and basically you know, help them to 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 get that aha moment where oh that's just like this part of windows or that's just like how my mac works or something like that and then they can move forward and realize how beautiful things are um with uh with work with working with open source software yeah documenting and and the presentation angle is not uh, not everyone's uh, strong suit and definitely like like i said the the people who are very good at uh, one part of uh, of building uh, tools and building software are not always the same people who are good in uh, how to present this to, to, to other people so they, they will be able to understand it. Mathematically, I, I, I am never the person who understands it. So I, I saw that you, you, you studied uh, on a branch of mathematics so in university, something regarding math. Well, yeah. Um, so where I live in North Carolina, um, North Carolina is, for the longest time, was a very rural, you know, more uh, into agriculture. We were known for tobacco and furniture. So we made furniture and we grew tobacco. Um, several decades ago, um, in our, we, we have some really uh, strong universities. And in this area they called the Research Triangle was, was the home to these three, uni three big universities, Duke University, the University of North Carolina, and North Carolina State University. And they formed this kind of um, like mini Silicon Valley, if you will. I, I even stressed to put that. But we had companies like IBM, you know, who were here. And so we started developing this, this, this kind of STEM, science and technology hub in North Carolina. But we have 100 counties, and these counties are very rural. Well this governor named Jim Hunt decided that to provide the best education in science and math, he would found a school called the North Carolina School of Science and Mathematics. And it was your, your, your secondary education. So it was, was your high school, basically, your last couple of years of high school. You applied like you were going to college. You took uh, examinations to, uh, to see if you could get in. And if you were accepted for the last two years of your high school education, you spent it at the North Carolina School of Science and Math. And it was an amazing experience. I mean, now we kind of joke it's like Hogwarts. You know, it's like going to wizard school, but instead of wizard, you know, instead of learning spells and potions, you learn science and math. Um, and uh, and it was a, a very formative uh, a view. So I I understand math. I'm again not a not a real strong mathematician, um, but uh, 
but I have been exposed to a lot more math than uh, than the average person, both through the school of science and math and, and uh, my college career. So you could have been a, an accountant, no? If you want to. <laughs> no, I, I took one accounting class and uh, I don't think the professor liked me very much because um, I would use these weird analogies. So if you've ever, ever taken a formal accounting class, they use what's called double entry accounting. So the idea is that um, you, you, for every ledger that you have, you have two sides. Often they call it left and right or debit and credit. And the idea is that they should all balance. So when you add up all the numbers in all your ledgers, everything should be zero. And that's why they call it double entry accounting. So if I buy something, I reduce the amount of cash I have, and then I increase the assets I own. So it zeroes out. Even though I don't have as much money as I had before, I have this asset that I use the money to buy. I would always joke that it was like matter and antimatter. And so you wanted to make sure when you were done, you had this equal amounts of matter and antimatter, and they would go, no, that's not right. But it worked for me. <laughs> so I have one question. Uh, now that we established uh, uh, pretty much uh, a little bit about open NMS, now that uh, regarding what happened to, to SolarWinds, the point and clicky thing of uh, the Windows world, OpenNMS is at the position that right now, if a, if a customer, uh, actual customer of SolarWinds, uh, SolarWinds calls uh, OpenNMS Group and asks, I'm a, I'm a client of uh, SolarWinds and I want out. Can OpenNMS uh, be that uh, alternative to SolarWinds? Yeah, I think so for certain organizations. Um, so we've been getting SolarWinds customers for years now. I mean, even before this. And what happened to SolarWinds, I would not wish on anybody. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, being this huge company and installing malware on 18,000 of your customer sites. I mean, that I, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Um, but um, the problem you run into right now with switching from SolarWinds to OpenNMS would be that learning curve that I was telling you about. Um, when people call me and, and they, they, they're interested in OpenNMS, I usually ask them quite a bit about their environment. Um, first, I want to know how many devices they, they want to monitor. And um, I run OpenNMS at my home, and I only have about 20, 30 devices on the network at my house that I care about. Um, but I say, you know, the number I'm looking to hear is 2,000 or more. Because if you have 2,000 devices, um, a lot of the proprietary solutions are going to be cost prohibitive because uh, you got to pay like per device or whatever. And second of all, if you have 2,000 devices, you probably have a person in your organization whose job it is is to monitor the network or at least deal with network performance as a large part of their responsibility. If you're a small shop with 100 you know, Windows desktops and your IT organization mainly you know, makes sure that, that people can print and access Office, using OpenMS is probably not for you. Um, but when I hear somebody, you know, uh, we've had organizations where they've actually had complete departments that were responsible for um, network performance. And for them, OpenMS is a great fit. Um, but we are working toward making um, OpenNMS much more accessible. Our dream, our vision for OpenNMS is to make monitoring just work. Like the other day, I was looking at a competitor's product, and, I, and it was great. It's a cloud-based product. And I was like, okay, step one, sign up for an account. And they brought up a, a, a web page. And I said, okay, what's the next step? And they said, oh, uh, install this agent. 
And I don't like agents because that's another piece of code that you don't really have control over, that you've got to manage, that might have a vulnerability. But for, 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 for the purposes of this thing, I said, okay, great. So I hooked up the agent and it just walked me through everything. I put it on a Linux box and said, oh, you're running this. You need to do, you know, running this version. You're running Ubuntu Linux server, Ubuntu server. So do these, type these commands in. Boom, now I'm talking to the agent. I'm like, great. And I'm like, well, monitor, you know, monitor something. Like it was monitoring the agent. And I said, okay, well, I want to monitor SSH. I want to make sure my SSH thing. And it's like, oh, well, you go in and you edit this file and then you can monitor SSH. And I was like, oh, well, I want to monitor my web server. Well, you go to this other file and you monitor it. And I'm like, with OpenNMS, you just point it at your computer, at your, the server you're interested in, and boom, it goes, oh, yeah, I detected SSH. I detected HTTP. It just works. Now, it doesn't get into like the nitty gritty because there's only so much you can automatically discover. But for the, what you can automatically discover, it does a really good job out of the box. And our hope is to make that um, the default, like that as complex as you get, you can go, oh, you, it looks like you have some Cisco gear. Well, here's some workflows that might be useful to you. And oh, you have a, you know, a, a, a Sienna device and you're doing SD-WAN or something like that. Well, here's some workflows which work for you things like that. Um, so yes, depending on, as I said, we even before the, the solar winds, um, the solar winds breach, we had a number of people who use solar winds for whatever reason, mainly limitations in solar winds, they wanted to come to open NMS and were willing to invest the time um, to get up to speed on it. Um, and one of the things that, you know, people talk about open source, like, you know, oh, because you can see the code, it's less secure because people can find bugs. And I was just like, no, I mean, you've got to trust somebody. I mean, you remember when Mark Shuttleworth said, you know, we have root and it pissed a bunch of people off. But what he was saying is like, when you download Ubuntu, you are trusting us not to put any malware in there. Now, the fact that Ubuntu is open and that you can go and look at every line of code um, means that it would be very, very difficult to do that. If someone did a malware pull request, someone might go, what was this pull request last Tuesday? That looks pretty bad. Let's not do that. Whereas in an organization that's very monolithic and very, very proprietary, you don't have all those eyes looking at it who might have caught, hey, someone just injected malware into your supply chain. But still, you have to trust somebody. I mean, I, I've been working through, you know, what if you wanted to, to totally build OpenNMS from source? Well, it's easy. I mean, we literally have two shell scripts in our, um, if you check out OpenNMS from uh, GitHub, there's a script called make devs and there's one called make RPMs. And you basically run the script and you, you'll make packages. You can choose which version of OpenMS you want to do, make packages, you can go and install those packages. But those packages depend on Java and they depend on Postgres and they depend on the Linux operating system. And there's so many layers of that onion that you have to trust somebody at some point in time. There's no way a single person could go through every line of code from the kernel up through the database, up through the OpenMS stack um, and be 100% sure. But it doesn't have to be one person. You know, there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who are looking at that every day. And because it's open source, because they know it's auditable, I think overall it's safer. It's much safer to trust open source than it is to trust a proprietary solution. Like I, like I said in the somewhere in the beginning, that I think that more people sees the code uh, underlying, uh, the sooner those bugs or vulnerabilities gonna gonna come to light, and will be will be addressed. And and actually, 
for zero cost because uh, otherwise if you are closed source you need to pay some people to audit your code and uh, find vulnerabilities and uh, all those exercises of uh, of um, trying to 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 break your own software or hack your own software or all those cost money when it, when it's open source uh, you have uh, the arsenal of uh, of people uh, out out there in the in their free time uh, finding bugs for yeah. you and, and reporting we, back we have a we have an email uh, an email address called security at openms.org and people it's it's rare but people will come to us with security vulnerabilities you know they're, they're researchers they may be students and uh, there was a big one for the longest time if you typed open nms into search engine you'd find that it was um we use a library called apache commons and there was a java serialization bug in apache commons uh, that affected OpenNMS, and it's so funny. the 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 researchers who found the bug used OpenNMS as the reference implementation. Like they installed OpenNMS to make the bug happen, so that they could report it. And and some like, you know, we immediately you know patched you know Apache Commons immediately patched their libraries. We immediately patched OpenNMS to use those versions of those libraries. And so it worked out really, really well, but it was funny that they, they you know, OpenNMS got associated with that simply because we were the reference implementation and they ran it on Windows. OpenNMS, because it's, it's written in Java, you can run OpenNMS on Windows. It is ugly <laughs> um, because we're not Windows people. So it doesn't run as a service. It's basically you, you started up in a, using a bat script in a, in, a, in a window, in a command window. And if you close that window, it'll shut down OpenNMS. It's not, we haven't ever had the um, business need to really focus on the Windows, um, uh, the Windows operating system. But they they used it now with with uh, you know Windows and Ubuntu and the uh, you know Linux services on Windows. Um, you can, uh, to my knowledge, I think we're pretty close to being able to run um, OpenNMS natively on Windows through their Linux services module. Um, when 2.0, there may be one or two pieces missing. Um, I just usually suggest people run it either in Docker or um, or on Win on Linux because you know that's where we we build it that's where we live and so we know that it works and you get a lot of um one of the things OpenNMS will do will show you problems with your network and linux is really really strong in tools i mean if you want to if, if if one of the things we struggle with is um the the monitoring protocol that uh has historically been used is snmp the simple network monitoring protocol the protocol itself i love but vendor implementations of it can be weak. And one of the nice things to do is if you're having issues with SNMP, say SNMP data collection, is you can bring up Wireshark. You know, app get install Wireshark or uh, Yum or DNF install Wireshark. And um, then you can actually see the, the packets going by and you go, oh, well, this packet is violating RFC 1213 or whatever. And um, try doing that on Windows. You know, you know, try doing a packet capture on Windows. I don't even know where to start. I mean, maybe there's a, there's a Wireshark for Windows and you can go and download it. But um, one of the things I love to do is for security reasons, when I bring up a new Linux box, I install the minimal install. And then I go in and add things as I need them. And it's literally one line. You know, the, the bare bones in, install of CentOS doesn't include the wget. <laughs> but you know, yum install, DNF install, wget, boom, you're there. Oh, I need this other thing, boom, you're there. And it's so nice 
And it's one of the things that at OpenMS, at least within the Linux world, we make it very easy to use by providing packages um, so that you can um, you can easily manage your OpenMS and make sure in, in the rare case that there's a security issue, boom, you can install up, upgrade to the latest version very, very easily.